Well, good morning, everyone there out in Facebook land. So glad to see you and making comments. We're, we're grateful for that. We are a church that believes that Jesus is sitting on the throne and we're resting in that during this time in our lives, during this time around the world as we endure a, a, a pandemic that we've never seen in 100 years. And so we're grateful for the grace of God in the midst of us. Hey, I want to encourage you this morning, continue to make your comments, stay with us during this time. Um, it has been an interesting time, and we want to encourage you to continue to look to the Lord. God is faithful, he's good, he's true, and so we want to hang on to the Lord during this time. We've been talking about detours, we've been talking about uh, different ways in which we have seen God in the midst of our detours. As you're thinking about the book of Ruth. I'm thinking about the book of Ruth because we're finishing up today. We will continue with our sermon series entitled Detours, but we're looking at um, as a whole where the book of Ruth has come throughout these uh, different stages when we look at the different chapters. So I want to encourage you as we move forward um, to be thinking about what does it mean when you're going through a detour and really who are we to hold on to? That's important for us. You know, many years ago when my wife and I were in Dallas, Texas, and I was in seminary, and we made that place our home for a short period of time, at least we thought it was going to be shorter than it was, we would travel up from Dallas up to Pennsylvania and Connecticut. I'm originally from Stanford, Connecticut. My wife is originally from Boothwin, Pennsylvania. Now, I don't know many of you if you want to look that up, but it's about a 25-hour drive we have three children at the time. Sophia wasn't with us yet, and they were young. We had the van, and we had to keep moving. I can assure you that when we had the a time change, when we were able to do that, we had to plan and strategize you know, each of our movements. We got accustomed to that road as we were driving home. We knew the markers, and I knew that I would start at 6 o'clock in the morning at Central Time, and I think I'd last to about one, and then I, I just, I fell apart. And my wife, five, three almost, uh, short, petite, packing, really good, sweet little girl, but she's got a heavy foot. And when she puts her foot on that pedal, she's riding hard and fast. And when I'm taking my nap, I'm taking it hard and fast. And so as we're traveling, my wife would gain really good ground, good traction. We'd get some momentum going. Until I would hear, as I'm in and out of sleep, I'd hear, oh, man, oh, and I would like kind of come out of my sleep, what's wrong? Detour, got to slow down. And she was moving, and she didn't tell me until later how fast she was moving, but I won't tell you either. But here's the thing. When we were moving, um, we were gaining that traction until we had to go down from four lanes down to one. And now that's a detour. I know when you have to go from four down to a single lane, when you're in your mind thinking, I need to get ahead, I need to gain momentum, we got to get to a certain marker, all of a sudden now the detour just stops you and slows you down. I know many of us felt that way during this time prior to COVID. We were moving, the economy was moving, our lives were moving, things were going well, we had it all planned out for the year, we knew exactly what we were going to do, and then all of a sudden God throws in a detour. 
One that he's sovereign, he's God, he's exhaustive in his foreknowledge. He is the most high God, El Elyon, so he has an authority over all things, and he decides and allows for this COVID to happen all around the world. And so now you're asking that question, why? And I'm asking that question too, but I try not to focus on the why, try to focus back on the fact that I have the mercy and grace of God that he allows me to remain where I'm at, that he continues to provide. He's, you know, our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. And so as we're thinking through that and we're being reminded of that, it's important for us with detours that we're always looking at things in front of us that we can't always understand. But I sometimes even look at that is that if the single lane is in front of us, it's a road to redemption. I gotta, get, I gotta be honest with you. When you're traveling down and you're on a road for 25 hours and you come on the last exit, when my wife and I would get on the last exit in Pennsylvania, exit one on 95, and we saw or knew we were just entering on Chichester Avenue to go to mom and dad's, boy, it was like, wow, redemption. Because all those hours on the road, we knew we were getting home to a great meal. Now me, I enjoy a great meal. It's very comforting. My mother-in-law loves to make those meals for us. And so we get home and it's just wonderful. And we get there. And that single lane down Chichester Avenue tells me the redemption. I'm coming home, baby. And I'm going to get me a good meal. I just want us to understand that we're going through a tough time. Maybe all those hours on the road and detours. But there's a single lane coming. And we're going to eventually get to this so-called redemption. But remember that the true redemption that we have is Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, that's what this whole book is about. Redemption, redeemer, kingsman redeemer. And how important it is for us to gather. Because I know some of us might think, man, I have been feeling like I, you know, just have been feeling like I'm in a maze. You're just feeling like that. And so it's important for us to realize how the idea of the maze is necessary for us to recognize that we are in a maze. But rest assured, even if we're in a maze and we feel like it, we're going to get through this. There's no question. You know, maybe right now you're in a maze and you don't even know you're in a maze. Maybe you're working through some things, but I've tried to have some fun at home. Sometimes my mind is in a maze. Uh, the other morning I was showing my daughter I can make a really good egg. And so I just kind of flip it over medium, had it all set up where I showed her. I said, see, I don't even need a utensil. I just got it. I just flip it with my hand. And I said, watch, let me show you. T let me count it down. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 3, 2, 1. And my wife goes course, as witty as my wife is, she goes, you forgot four. And I was like, oh man, I was so hungry for that egg. I forgot the number four because I didn't care at that point. I just wanted to eat the egg. And maybe your mind is in a maze, but I'll tell you, whatever the case, we've got to be encouraged. And let me just balance us right now. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's something that you've been feeling despairing or discouraged or feeling defeated in your difficulty. I understand. Let's balance this out a little bit. It's real what we're going through. I mean, I tend to be the one that's saying, let's move on, let's get over this. But some of you out there know family members and loved ones. It's real. And I want to share a couple stories, just how real it is and some information. Nearly half of Americans today, during this COVID time, 48% are anxious about the possibility of getting this coronavirus. I get it. It's a balanced perspective. Nearly four in 10 Americans are anxious about becoming seriously ill 
and possibly dying from it. We're hearing some stories that are real. Far more Americans are anxious about the possibility of family and loved ones getting coronavirus. Truly get that. And one in four people are seeking for mental health concerns during this time, and they're looking toward faith leaders. We just happen to be one of the faith places for faith leaders that are located, a church. And so it's important for us to gather that it's a real thing. In fact, there's a story on Facebook that just opened my eyes. Because again, I tend, to, I tend to go over here and say, you know what? This is not that big of a deal. Well, it's easy for me to say that because I'm not, I haven't contracted the disease, nor I know anyone who is close to me that has. But I have a niece who has an uh, Iowa, and she's okay. But here's a story that we have to understand that even healthcare workers are mentioning. It says, she said this, she says, I've been following this virus since it first started in China and I've read countless articles, followed the news and watched videos of hospitals across the world and in our country. Nothing, I mean nothing, could have ever prepared me for what I see or experience daily worked, working on COVID unit. It broke me. The deaths are real. The suffering is real. The rapid decline of the patients is real. The pain of the family members having to Zoom meet with their loved ones on to say their goodbyes is real. People dying completely alone is real. It's all real, and it's far worse than your mind could ever imagine. So if you're having a hard time believing if this is real or have serious viruses, really is, or if you think this quarantine is an infringement on your rights, please message me. I would gladly walk you through what I see or deal with on a daily basis as a COVID nurse in detail. So we need to have a balanced perspective. I need to have one because I can be insensitive. I can tend to say, you know what? It, it's just no, it's not that bag, big of a deal, but it is. But yet we can't overthink this either. We have to keep it balanced during this time. Difficulty sometimes can consume us. Despairing thoughts can dis just consume us. And we have to be careful that we're balanced through all of this. Let me just share one other story that is actually positive in looking at this. There's another woman who, who wrote on her Twitter. She said, imagine if you were too afraid to go to the grocery store. Rebecca came face to face with that reality when she was heading into the grocery store and heard someone calling to her. She shared the story in a now viral way through her Twitter. She said, I went into the grocery store this afternoon and I was walking in and I heard a woman yell to me from her car. I walked over and found an elderly woman and her husband. She cracked her, her window open a bit and explained to me, she said, nearly in tears that they were afraid to go into the store. So Rebecca wrote, afraid to get sick as they are in their 80s and hear that the novel coronavirus is affecting older people and, so, and that they do not have family to help them around. So through the crack in the window, she handed me a $100 bill in a grocery list and asked if I would be willing to buy her groceries. I bought the groceries, placed them in her trunk and gave the change back to her. She told me that she had been sitting in the car for nearly 45 minutes before, she, before Rebecca arrived, walking to ask the right person for help, she explained. And then Rebecca continued, I know it's time of hysteria and nerves, but offer to help anyone you can. Not everyone has to turn to it. Seriously, 
It stinks that so many people have no one for them to help them. But it is awesome when they found someone who didn't just grab that $100 bill and run. So as we have the perspective that this is real, we have to understand there's an opportunity for compassion during this time. There's an opportunity for a movement. There's an opportunity for us to seize the moment to be the church around us. We can't be so consumed and focused on this coronavirus, although it is real, without an offering of compassion. So let's not sit home and hope it all just ends. Ask God to use us in some way so that when he does, we can really show forth the love of Jesus Christ and really be the church. It's not about the building, although we have to meet in a building and gather together. It's about reaching people in this time. So as we're thinking about that, we're thinking about the book of Ruth because Naomi was going through a really challenging time. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She lost her dream of being able to see grandkids grow up, lost her dream about growing old with her husband, lost her dream of seeing her, her two sons become awesome dads. She lost all of that. She, she gained two wonderful daughter-in-laws, but when she had to lose her husband and two children, she then had to move back to the place where she knew. And when she went back, she convinced one of her daughter-in-laws, and both of them she tried, but she convinced one to go back to her home, to her family. And then she comes back, and she starts to talk to her other daughter-in-law, but her daughter-in-law would say, no, I'm not going back home. I'm not going back to a dream that I want. I'm not going back to find a husband with my background and my people. I'm not going to go back and serve my God. I'm going to serve your God. I'm going to serve you and care for you and love you. And I'm going to help you through all of this. I am dedicated. And then she makes a commitment to God, Yahweh. And she makes that commitment that says, this is where I'm going. And so she does. She gives up all of her dreams, gives up everything that she wants in order to serve her mother-in-law. What an incredible act of trusting God and of love. What grace, what mercy. And then she goes with her to Bethlehem. And they travel to Bethlehem, and she finds out that she has a property from her husband. And when she goes back to her property or she goes back to, uh, to Bethlehem, she realizes that she can't care for herself because she's poor. So her daughter-in-law goes out, and we understand she goes out to glean, to look for food, to take care of them. And here she meets Boaz, a near, near kinsman, a relative. And he goes beyond the spirit of the law, cares for Ruth, cares for her in many ways, cares for Naomi. And then shortly within chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see a love story. Because now Ruth is willing to give up all her dreams to take care of her mother-in-law, which she made an oath to do, and to consider marrying and being with a man who could be her father. Because that is a display of the love of God. And so as we're at this part of the story, we understand now in the last part of chapter three into chapter four, we have to see that Boaz is doing all he can because he finds out there's another nearest redeemer. And if the nearest redeemer, the kingsman is there, he has to try to find some way to convince him that if he doesn't do it, if he's not willing to go through it, that Boaz says he'll take care of it. He promised it to Ruth. The marriage proposal's on the table. They're ready to go. But one more thing has to happen in order for this redemption to happen. So as we're going through this difficult time in our lives, as Naomi had as well, we have to embrace that this is difficult. We can't ignore it. It's real. 
But how can we work through our difficulty? How can we see redemption in all of this? Well, let me encourage you as you're looking at the screen that we need God's deliverance during our difficulty. We need it. There's no question we need it. And so how can we get that? How can we? Well, it requires, in our difficulty, it requires the first thing. We've got to know that a, rede- a redeemer, those who are going to redempt, have to have the proper means. Now, as you look with me to chapter 4, verse 1, I'm just going to read that to you. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there because he wanted to get this taken care of whether it was him or the nearest redeemer. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. Now, in the Hebrew, there's actually no name there. They don't even know the name of this person. We have no clue. The scripture doesn't even highlight that. Why would the narrator not identify him? Well, I think because when the narrator writes it, he's really not a character they need to get to know. When they, when they implement someone into a plot and a story, he's not someone they need to know. All they need to know is that he's the nearest redeemer, and they need to find out if he's going to take care of buying the property back and also working with Ruth and working with Naomi. So Boaz sits down at the gate because that's how you do this officially. There's a transaction that has to occur, and he has to find what we're going to find out, 10 men. In verse 2, he says, and he took 10 men of the elders of the city, and he said, sit down here. So they sat down. So they sit down to show the posture that they're dealing with this. They want to know, is this so-called nearest redeemer going to buy this property or not? Boaz is kind of pushing on it. He's trying to kind of force the transaction because he wants to put him and put pressure on him to make a decision. He could have privately went to him prior and saying, hey, let's talk about this, but he's putting pressure on this so-called nearest redeemer. Then verse three, it says this, then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Now, just understand this. She's not selling it. She's giving up the rights. A redeemer has to buy it back. So she either comes with the property or not. And we'll find that out. But here's the thing. Boaz is pushing. He's putting pressure because he loves Ruth. And he wants to take care of Ruth. And he wants to take care of Naomi. But if this guy wants the property, he can't do anything about it. So this love story is important to understand that if Boaz is out of the picture, we're going to find out at the end of this story something may not happen for our future. And that involves even us today here in 21st century. So as you're looking at this, let's look at verse 4 for just a moment. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here. Meaning, hey, I'm putting some pressure on you. Here are the elders. Here's a transaction. This is what you got to do. I'm telling you, you got to consider it. It's kind of a salesman type here. He's trying to make it happen. And in the presence of the elders and my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. I mean, if you want to buy it, hurry up, dude. Buy it, man. Get this property and get it over with. Come on. In fact, the word redeem, purchase, bought, is 15 times in the first seven verses of this chapter, which means that the important aspect of this chapter is redemption. Boaz is trying to find redemption for Naomi and Ruth. And then he goes on to say this, but if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. I'll come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Like probably the worst four words that Boaz wanted to hear. Boaz was in love with Ruth. Ruth was in love with Boaz. They wanted to make this happen. And here is a man, he's not even named in this chapter, comes in and tries to take his lady. 
Well, you know, I know that he had a heart, grace, mercy, and love for Ruth. He said, whether he does or I do, I just want you to make sure you're taken care of. See, now, you got to understand this whole storyline. Ruth is giving of herself. She is selfless throughout this entire story. Boaz even demonstrates that. He is selfless. He's saying, if, if it's not me, fine. I just want you to be loved and cared for. Wouldn't it be nice if the church, the 21st century church, could even have just a smidge of this? Is it possible that we could start to begin to say, you know what, it's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I want. It's ultimately about the glory of God. It's about reaching someone. Who cares who gets the credit? Ultimately, are we going to reach people for the kingdom of God? Because during this time, even in COVID, people need to know, they're searching and looking, who is the God who has created all things that he would even allow this to happen? Death happens every day, people. All around the world, 160,000 people die and go to eternity. It just happens that God is allowing this particular death to happen. But we don't think about the other diseases that are all around the world that are even faster pace. They're more contagious and they're dying at a faster pace. So forgive me if I sound like I don't care, but I'm trying to tell you that we have to be about the gospel because we can't be about our own agendas. Boaz and Ruth shows that and they're loving on Naomi. But when he heard that, I think a part of him died. But then he's just, here's the whole thing. A redeemer has to have the means in order to buy the property. Naomi couldn't do it. Someone else couldn't do it. But this nearest redeemer and Boaz had the money and the wealth. How about with Jesus? How about salvation? He redeemed us. And he redeemed us because he was sufficient to do so. He has the wealth. He is God. He came to earth to become the likeness of man, to redeem mankind, to pay for the sin of debt. And we see that in the New Testament. Galatians 3.13, as we see this picture, he's a type of Christ as we see Boaz. We see also Jesus himself. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He becoming, by becoming a curse for us, it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. It's really simple. The curse of the law is perfection. You and I are not perfect. Sin means missing the mark of perfection. God demands perfection. He's holy. And for us to be in his presence, we have to be perfect. That's why Jesus had to pay it all, a perfect substitutionary atonement. He had to die. That was the payment. And he had to die to please the Father's demand of holiness and perfection. And he had to become a curse for that too. Because by doing so, he rids of anyone, even Satan himself, to come in and try to take that back from us. In fact, the word redeem means buying out of the slave market of sin. You're buying back. God is redeeming his people, reconciling his people to himself. He created them to desire relationship. And he has the means to do so. So when you're going through difficulty, where is the place that you're looking to get peace? Because it can't be found in our circumstances right now. It sure enough can't be found in our homes. It can't be found... Even today, going crazy trying to find toilet paper and paper towels. You can't find it anywhere. But what you can find it in is you can find it in the hope of Christ. That's our redemption. And so even 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says the same thing for the sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that, that so in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't it funny that Jesus who is innocent lamb, he is innocent, 
had to become like sin, meaning he, God the Father had to treat him as though he was a sinner. And then we who are sinners, because of what Jesus has done in his righteousness, now God looks upon us and sees righteousness, but we're sinners. And we're not made righteous, but declared righteous. We will be made righteous in his glory because right now we're declared. It's a statement. It's a statement where the transaction has already been covered. As we think about that, he's got the means necessary in our sanctification. He's got the means necessary for all of us. But you might say, I'm just really struggling. I just want this thing to be over. Well, guess what? It's not going to be over because once this is done, there's going to be something else we're going to struggle with. There's some other difficulty or struggle in our lives that we're going to have. Where's the means in which we're going to find peace, joy, hope, and the love of God, but only through Christ? If you think the situation is what you need to get out of to find peace, let me remind you, you won't find it. Because I know. I've always tried looking going over there too, and it doesn't work. Because when I have a situation in my life, something else comes up this morning at 9.30. I have to get my shirt ready, and I have to make sure I iron it. And then my wife screams down, the freezer's broke, the freezer's broke, and it just broke the second time this week. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, not now. Where's my peace? Well, sure enough, wasn't in my situation. I could have got frustrated, lost my distraction, my purpose, and what I would need to do today. But instead, I unplugged it. We ran downstairs. I got frustrated for a minute, and then I said, I'm not letting this happen And my son had to jump up and help, and we all had to bring everything downstairs. And then I said, I'm unplugging this, and I'm unplugging my thoughts about this because my hope is not in my situation. It's in the Lord. Came up here smiling. Me and Pastor Dennis are talking. We're hanging out. The girls, Greg, they're doing a great job. The, The AV team is doing a fantastic job. We're just here to serve. That's where our hope is. So put our hope that we know that Jesus is our only means for redemption in everything we do, too. You got to understand, too, that we have to have the proper motives, the proper motives. Ruth 4, verse 5 and 10. Let me just read that to you, the proper motives in order to get through this difficulties. We got to understand that redeemer has to have the proper motives. It says, then Boaz says, the day you will buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in this inheritance. So really simply this, he's saying, that's fine. You want to redeem it? Good. I'm going to get you right now. I'm going to tell you as my salesman, I'm going to just add in a little something. You can get the property, but you got to get Ruth too. Ruth the Moabite. He wanted to scare him up a little bit. Now he identified him as a Moabite, but some scholars believe that he might have put that little caveat in there to say, you really want a Moabite, an enemy of Israel on your property? Do you want to take care of someone who has been an enemy of Israel for years? Do you really want this woman But he did present her, and it's the truth. And Ruth is presented. And then we see in verse 6, he says, Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. See, it's really that simple. It's simple to say that at this point, that was the case. And so in light of it all, That's what was happening here. He realized because he didn't want to give up his own rights, didn't want to give up his inheritance, didn't want to give up everything for his children. He wanted to make sure that his family was taken care of. He didn't want to add this woman. Music to Boaz's ears. (laughs) 
And here we see too, I just want to highlight as I look forward to another passage here in Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 5 through 10. Let me read this to you why this was important. Because if brothers, it says brothers dwell together and one of them dies and and has no son, then the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duties of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, and that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. See, it's, it's important to understand that it was his duty as the Redeemer to take over the woman who's deceased, a widow or someone, the woman's husband who's deceased, a widow. He has to take over, be the husband, take care of them and all their needs. That was necessary. And see, he goes on to say this in verse 7, and this is the law and what it's laying out. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brothers refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of his husband brothers to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists saying, I do not wish to take her, Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, put a sandal off his foot, and spit in his face. And he shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who has his sandal put off. See, it's understanding. In understanding this, he had a duty. It wasn't just the property. It was a duty to follow through. And even in the storyline, 7 through 10 in Ruth, chapter 4, he had to take off the sandal and hand it over to Boaz because that was the transaction, that was the custom. And when he did so, it was ultimately understood how important this is to gather that he had to do his part. Thankfully, the Redeemer, the nearest nearest Redeemer, the nearest relative said no because he realized he wasn't going to fulfill the law and the commitment that he was supposed to. Thankfully, Boaz was able to do so. And that's why I want to show that to you, that even the law required for him to do that. But let me, let me just share the motives behind this. The Redeemer, I'll name him because he has no name, only cared about the property. Boaz wanted the spirit of the law. He, it was optional, but the spirit of the law was, I want the property and Ruth, the Moabite. Isn't it beautiful to know that he wanted to carry on the name of Elimelech? He wanted to carry out that name. Even the first child, which is Obed, we're going to find out, is the name. But here's God. He's not just looking to bail us out. He's not looking to just redeem us through his son, and then we can go on with our lives. We carry the name of Jesus Christ. We bear his name to obey him, to love him, to worship him, to honor him, to bring him honor and glory everywhere we go. We carry that name in all of our actions and our attitudes and everything we do. See, God desires relationship. His motive for redeeming us is not just to buy us back and let us go. 
His motive for redeeming us is so we could have relationship with him, so we can enjoy him. So we, through these difficult times and trials, is when we realize how much he loves and cares for us. It's through these times when we're walking through a maze and we don't understand, and it doesn't make sense to us when we're trying to, we're taking a left and a right and trying to get out of this maze because it's crazy. God is saying, these are the times when you lean on me, trust me, I will show you who I am, and you will, I will perpetuate my name, I will carry my name through you, through his, my son Jesus. And when you go through this, you'll be able to share the love of Christ with someone else who's going through a similar difficulty. These are the times. See, God's motive is so that we can grow in compassion, grow in relationship, learn to walk with him and love him and enjoy him because that's the purpose of walking with God. Not just simply asking God to bail us out. That's why I'm talking about don't put your hope in the situation. God's not looking to bail you out of this situation. God is trying to get your attention through this maze that he needs to be the one you have to lean on. When you're going crazy, trying to make a left or a right, when you're on the road of detour and you see something happening, you got to understand God is the only one you can lean on. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants what is best for you. Boaz got that. Ruth got that. Even Naomi began to get that. That's the desire that God has for us. And so we understand how important this is to grab and understand that this is God's motive. Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. We're sinners declared righteous. He redeemed us to have a relationship with us. And I'm going to tell you something. Here's another thing that when you're, you need God's deliverance, we need God's deliverance in our difficulty because we need the proper mercy. Mercy isn't when someone does well for me and I do well for him. Mercy is when someone mistreats me and I still show the grace and mercy of God, the love of God. When I'm being mistreated, people are trying to question my motives, trying to judge me, not asking me questions. I simply return mercy because God has returned mercy on me. Look at the story again. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, now it's the transaction's done. Boaz has Ruth. He is going to have her as his wife. It's all taken care of. Verse 11, he says, then all the people were at the gate and the elders. Everybody's there. And this is what they say. We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Rachel being the beloved of Jacob. Leah being a woman who is also a wife of Jacob, they called the building of Israel, the building of the household of Israel, because Jacob's name actually changed to Israel when he was wrestling with God. And he says, who together built up the house of Israel, may you act worthily in Ephrata and, renown, and be renowned in Bethlehem. This is where they were. Micah 5.2 speaks of a prophecy that the birthplace of our Messiah would be Bethlehem. And here is what the people were screaming and yelling out in a very positive way. They were rejoicing that God was at work, that the mercy of God has come upon Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi. And now it goes on to say, and may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Now, who is Perez but Judah's son through Tamar? 
We know the story in Genesis 38. We know that Tamar had an immoral sexual act with Judah. And yet God, in his mercy and his grace, allows Tamar to be this woman who is actually the mother, as we're going to find out, of even David. A great, 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 great grandmother. But here we see, too, is that this offspring, Obed, comes in even because Boaz is redeeming the line and that first child goes to Elimelech's family line. And here we're finding out, we see it even in Matthew chapter 1, 2 through 6. We see that the beauty of mercy. We see Judah, we see Perez, we see Tamar, a woman who was a harlot. Then we go on and we see Ruth. As we go down this line, we see Ruth. And then after we see Ruth, we also see David, who was a father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And there was another immoral act that happened. God has bestowed proper mercy. He has allowed himself to say, I will have mercy and grace even in the line of the Messiah. What does that say to us? That you and I, when we go through difficulty, God mercifully gets us through it. And now we are not to hold on to that, but share that mercy with others. We're not to judge. We're not to slander. We're not to gossip. We're not to become those types of people who are calling, perpetuating the name of God. You and I have to be about the mercy of God to display this because God continues to displaying his mercy and his grace throughout the centuries, saying that I am about mercy. I am about compassion. I want to reach those who are far away from me, I want to set. That's why I sent my son. And you know what? You are my mouthpieces. You're my marketing billboards. You're the ones that got to go out there and tell others about Jesus. You're the ones that got to live it out. You're the ones that got to show them that you're different. How are we doing that through this difficult time? Are we fearful, worried, despairing, hopeless and helpless? Are we going to finally say enough's enough? Let's make a difference. There's a mercy of God. There's a God who desires to do that. See, God will turn our maze, our difficulty, our trial into a movement. This is what he did in the book of Ruth. He turned a maze, Naomi, the two sons, her husband, going back, embittered, didn't care, didn't have a love for God at one point. She was giving up. She was in pain. She was grieving. Here, God brings Ruth, and God brings Boaz and shows his mercy and his love, and now he brings forth a child. And now we'll see that this child is redeeming to this family line. And this child not only redeems this family line, this child brings forth a redemption that will come in the future in the line of David that will then turn to be the line of the Messiah. And here we see even in chapter 4, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. That's the beauty of God. That's the mercy of God. He had the right means to redeem. He had the right motives. And he has obviously mercy. And then we see that in the last part of 15. He shall be the restorer, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, 
who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to, to him. She lost the dream of having grandchildren. Now she has one. God redeems her in so many ways, restores her, but creates a movement. So even in the midst of our maze and our difficulty, and you're wondering what is life going to be like after this COVID, know that God has a single lane ready to restore us and redeem us. We're going to get through this. God is going to come through this. He's going to give us an opportunity for the church to reach those who are far away. You're lost. You're hurting. You might be watching today and saying, I can't do this anymore. I want to give up. God's saying, hold on. I have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. Lean on to him. We don't need to look anywhere else. He was providing it in the story of Ruth. I mean, look at this chart. An amazing to a movement. Judah, Tamar, sexual morality, Perez, Ruth, a foreigner, a Moabite, Bathsheba. And God continues to do more and more every day. I stand before you as a a person who goes through a maze every day, but sees a movement that he could take a, a wretch like me and do something with that. I struggle with that sometimes. Am I good enough? And God's saying, no, you're not, but that's okay. My son is. Glory to God. Because it's not about me. I just want to encourage you this week. You might feel like you're in a detour, but when you're in a single lane, there's a redemption coming, the road of redemption. You might feel like you're in a maze today. It's okay. I want to encourage you. You have the Redeemer. You can share some, with someone else who doesn't have the Redeemer that there's a Redeemer. And you know that the greatest Redeemer we have, although this is a great story, goes right to the end of saying, the Redeemer has come. The lineage has come. His name is Jesus. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're fear, fearing and worrying about what the next six weeks is going to be like. Stop focusing on the six weeks. Let me, let, me be, let me be fatherly to you. Stop focusing on the six weeks and focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're more than conquerors because of our faith. I read that this morning in 1 John chapter 5. We're more than conquerors. This week, we'll have some devotionals for you. This week, you'll be able to read. Read the book of Mark. Courtney was encouraging you. She was fixing and editing my paper, and she wrote that in. I thought that was great. Read the book of Mark. It's a great book. It's a great gospel. Be encouraged this week as we uh, continue to pray. Meet with us on Wednesday. But can I just pray for you, and then we can um, move on our day today. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that whoever's out there today, whether they're hurting, worried, fearful, concerned, despairing, hopeless, helpless, feeling like you've abandoned them through all of this COVID. Lord, let them see that you've set your son Jesus to be the redeemer. God, thank you so much for our redeemer. Thank you for the story that you've allowed to preserve your people as they persevered through it. You preserved your people in the Old Testament all the way up to the lineage of your son. And when he was born, he came to save mankind from sin. God, please let us be focused on you during this difficult time. Help us see that during this maze, you're going to bring forth the continued movement of the gospel. Lord, I just thank you so much for allowing us to meet together via, via Facebook to hear your word being preached to us. Lord, just challenge us, change us to be conformed to the image of Christ. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. We'll see you very soon on Wednesday. Come join us at 12 o'clock noon on Facebook Live. God bless you.